So I guess you could say that this evening is focused on uh, money from lots of different angles. So we've just had where lots of barge money goes to, lots of our barge mission fund goes to keeping Chris and Roz out there in Uganda and then um, helping to support that ministry as they look to minister to current students and then uh, alumni. Um, we're going to... Um, in a, in a while, we'll be hearing about some of the specific needs at the barge as we look to go into this meeting with the museum tomorrow. Um, we'll be giving you some updates about that, um, and we'll be praying into those kind of situations. But we also, um, genuinely, we had scheduled for this Wednesday and this Sunday, um, ages ago, um, two talks on money. Um, so we're going to, uh, I'm going to go take us through some of the, um, uh, I guess the doctrine of money, like what should we do with our money, how should we think about money today, and then we'll be looking at 2 Corinthians 8 um, on Sunday, and God just so happens to have put those two talks in our schedule at, um, uh, at the moment where, as a church, we probably need to be thinking um, even more carefully about um, money. So uh, let me lead us in prayer, and then we're going to dive in and think about this topic. Father, we... Um, we see the glory of Jesus, we see the glory of him as a, a, a giver who uh, sacrificially gave all that he had for the good of others. Um, we pray that we would be in awe of Jesus and we would want to um, give as Jesus has given. Um, pray to help us to handle money. We know that um, it's so easy to be blind um, to just how rich we are as a, uh, as a country. And pray to help us to um, handle money rightly. Please would we rejoice in the good you give us uh, and refuse to make uh, money a God in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, in the middle of the night last night, we heard the familiar cry of Dan waking us up. And I stumbled downstairs and I, I picked him up and I started to shake him to try and comfort him. And um, I put my hand on his on his head, not outrageous shaking, just gentle shaking, gentle shaking, um, and I put my hand, I tried to put my hand on his head to comfort him, and I realised for the last, like, few seconds I've been holding him completely upside down, um, don't tell Mary, sorry as you listen to this tomorrow morning, sorry, <laughs> on the recording, um, but why do I start like that, what? Sometimes we can have upside-down thinking about money, and we want to make sure tonight that we don't have that kind of upside-down thinking. We want to get money in its right place in our, in our lives, um, that it's a, a good servant, but it's not our master. Now, we want to see that true Christianity is not just some vague spirituality that um, helps me feel a, a bit more upbeat. It's uh, a Christianity that has a say in every area of life. So there's 500 verses in the Bible on prayer, supposedly, and more than 2,000 on money and possessions. Um, God cares about how we live every area of our lives. Um, what is money? Well, money is, is neutral. So you might have heard that money is the root of all, kind of, of all evil. That's not the verse in the Bible. It's the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. In 1 Timothy 6... Um, uh, money is neutral. Money is, if you like, power. Uh, so money is the power to be able to pull out your smartphone, tap on the Uber app, and demand that someone get in their car, drive over here, pick you up, and drive you to wherever you want to go. It's Money is power. 
the question is, what do we want power to do? Uh, what money is not, it's not God. Uh, it does not own us, it is not our saviour. We've talked about this difference before, uh, between something being a good gift and being the ultimate, the thing we trust, and you can see that in the world around us in this area where we live people who make money their god who will do anything to serve it and do anything to get it and trust it to bless them and it just comes back around to bite them what is money who is god god is the owner Uh, psalm 24 verse 1 the earth is the lord's and the fullness thereof psalm 50 the cattle on a thousand hills are mine says god if i were hungry i would not tell you for the for the world and its fullness are mine. Um, so Jeff Bezos, how you pronounce it, founder of Amazon, his net worth has just passed $105 billion this last week. You know, imagine him begging on the streets for money, for spare change. It's just ridiculous, isn't it? Well, that's the first thing we need to know about money and giving is that God doesn't need our money. Uh, God owns it all. He can do what he wants. Uh, God is the owner, God is the giver. Um, so Acts 17, 25 says, he's not served by human hands as though he needed anything from us. Rather, he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So John three sixteen, that's what God's like. God so loved, he gave. He gave his one and only son. It's what God is like. God is giver. He's not some cosmic Scrooge or ogre or hoarder who wants to ruin your life by taking your money. He wants to lavish blessing. Um, Who are we? Well, by the logic of the previous point, we are the owned people, not the owners. Um, So 1 Corinthians 6 says, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body, with everything, ultimately. <clears throat> so if you're Christians, you're twice owned by God. Uh, and if you knew that, uh, you're owned because he's your creator, therefore he owns you. You're owned because he is your saviour, that he paid the redeeming ransom price to rescue you. Um, he owns us, everything we have is for him. So work, in a sense, owns you, doesn't it? Um, some feel the pain of that more than others. Um, as the smartphone keeps ringing, as you've got to make calls left, right and centre, uh, even outside of normal working hours. But it owns you, it has the right within reasonable, well, within reasonable requests uh, for you to do what they say. I guess that means we should decide tonight, you know, if God is our owner, you know, every penny in our bank accounts, um, every wage we earn, every investment we make, every inheritance that comes our way, he is our owner. And the question is, what does God want us to do with that money? Um, We're owned, and then this next point, we're given to that we might give. So we're receivers first, but God's got a plan. When he gives, he wants us to then use that to give to others. It's because we get to be like God. So if God is this wonderful giver who loves to lavish good things on others, if we want to become like him, that's what it means. That we want to be kind and generous and sacrificial in giving to others. I think one of my um, 
favourite verses in the Bible is in 2 Peter 1, verse 4, and it says, um, God has given us everything we need for life and godliness, uh, but it builds up to this point that we would become partakers in the divine nature. We'd become partakers in the divine nature. So if God is this God of giving and graciousness, well, we get to be partakers in that. We get to partake in giving. Uh, we're given to that we might give. So if I um, head over to Bo and I give him £10, he'd be pretty happy, I imagine. Yeah? <laughs> but, but if I say to Bo, here's £10, I want you to give it to Marcus, um, that's less good for Bo, because Bo is currently in debt to not just one, but two people. He's in debt to me, because I've given you the money, and he's in debt to Marcus. He owes that money to Marcus. We, we're given to that we could pass it on. Uh, yeah, what do we want out of this um, this evening for ourselves as we um, think about this topic of money? Um, we we don't want uh, you know us to think, okay, maybe I should just up my giving a little bit. To blah blah blah. We, we want something that only God can achieve, which is heart change. We want people, uh, want ourselves to so love what God is like, to so understand giving and so rejoice in that that we just. We joyfully give, sacrificially. I mean, that, that's something only God can... I don't know about your heart. Um, my heart is often very far from that. Only God can produce in me that kind of desire, and we need to pray for that, and we'll be spending some time praying toward that end. Um, so that's um, the introductory points. How should we spend our money? Um, so Christianity is a world of um, freedom and responsibility. So Paul at one point says, though I am free, I make myself a slave to all. I'm free, and yet I choose to make myself a slave in service of others. Um, so first off, what's our responsibility? Um, to provide for ourselves, our family, and our church family. So self, we need money for food and shelter. Uh, family, um, let's turn to this passage, um, 1 Timothy, because there's quite a few passage, uh, verses uh, Near to 1 Timothy, we'll be referring to 1 Timothy 5, verse 9. First to get a page number, please shout it out. And you get extra spiritual brownie points for looking like you're quick on the drawer in the Bible. Oh, don't shout the Mandarin page, it doesn't help us. Anyone got a page number? 1 Timothy 5, verse 9. 1195. Extra spiritual brownie points to you. 1195. Um, 1 Timothy 5 verse 9 says this about providing for your family. Um, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Um, So that's pretty strong, right? That's a kind of responsibility, obligation upon us. Um, you've got to be a bit careful how you apply that in today's life. I mean, I guess that's probably aimed at necessity, as in, do they have food and clothing and shelter, rather than are they able to go on three luxury cruises a year in their retirement? But it's uh, it, it's an obligation to provide for your family uh, and to provide for your church family. So if you look down at verse 16, um, you get these kind of spheres of responsibility. So the family are to care for widows they're related to, so that... It, the church, 
may care for those who are truly widows. So you see how those spheres of responsibility work? For yourself, for your family, for your church family. Um, then outside that, your worldwide church family. Um, they're, they're on our radar of responsibility, uh, and yet they are maybe further out. Um, so it is our responsibility, it, ultimately before God, to, to look to express the fact that we are responsible to help people like our brothers and sisters at UMS. Um, those are our responsibilities, our obligations. Let's call this next one an obligation. Um, we're obligated to enjoy God's good gifts. That sounds a more fun obligation, right? Uh, to enjoy God's good gifts. Um, 1 Timothy 6 verse 17, have a look at that. I'll just over the page. command those who are rich, assumption there are rich Christians, um, command them in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. We could go back to 1 Timothy 4.4, everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. Um, So we'll talk about the sacrificial call on our on our giving, but um, don't swing so far that way that you you think that Christianity is somehow ascetic, like it just doesn't love the good things that God gives us in this world. Uh, you know, go on, go spend money on a great holiday and go and enjoy that holiday, or you know, feel jealous that you've not got to come skiing with some of us uh, in in a week or so's time. Uh, enjoy what God provides richly for our enjoyment. Uh, and I guess that's an area of freedom and different people will come out at different points on the spectrum of how much they give to that, how much they give to other things. They're not to idolise, we're not to idolise good gifts, but we're not to judge another man's servant, not to judge God's servant on what different people, different choices people make in their lifestyles. Um, obligation three, to pay taxes. Um, I'll let you look at that in your own time, but it's, a, it's good to pay taxes, whatever the government, because God institutes government ultimately for the good of the world, even if it's imperfect. But it's good to pay money to our government you know, at the big picture level, because so much of what the government does is actually aimed at this next point, loving our neighbour, looking out for other people. So don't turn to it, but Galatians 6.10 says this. So then, as we have opportunity, another obligation, let us do good to everyone, uh, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Uh, so we're under obligation to do good to everyone, as far as we have opportunity. Uh, but again, spheres of responsibility, especially those of the household of faith, uh, especially Christians. Um, Okay, last area, um, to fund gospel work. Um, so, we did something on watching the English and the bizarreness of British people, but British people, A, hate talking about money, and they definitely hate talking about um, their own money, or asking other people to give them their money. So this is going to be a very awkward point for me to make, but I'm just showing you what's there in the Bible. Um, it is... Uh, a responsibility to provide for your gospel workers. Um, so if you wanted to look at 1 Timothy 5, 
17 and 18, you'd see something of that. Skim over it, and I'll read um, 1 Corinthians 9 to you, which says this, um, so you get the worker deserves his wages there in 1 Timothy 5, but you get 1 Corinthians 9, you get the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel, or the phrase, don't muzzle the ox while he's treading out the grain. So sometimes I go for lunch with people in Canary Wharf, and we talk about the gospel, and they know I'm a gospel minister, and I guess because of this verse, they say, don't worry, I'll get lunch. And I feel like I'm being treated like an ox. But um, uh, it's, it's a very pleasurable experience. Um, uh, take me for lunch sometime, if you'd like. No, uh, the, bigger, the, bigger principle, the bigger principle is those who, um, whose work is preaching the gospel um, should get their living from the gospel. Um, Paul, at lots of points, lays down that right, and yet he keeps insisting it is, it is uh, the way it's supposed to be. So the barge is very good at that, and um, I speak for myself, and I'm sure for Marcus and Fiona and Jing, we're very grateful for the way people provide for us. Uh, but in terms of how we use our money, God, you know, and how we plan the rest of our lives and all the different churches we're going to be a part of, it is right that we plan to aim to make contribution toward the costs of people who are gospel workers. Um, so that needs to be. Uh, on our radar, um, and if we're if we're not doing that, we need to think seriously uh, about that um, about that command. Um, so that's uh, one category, and uh, then the other, the, the wider category, and there's a lot more. Um, uh, you know, it's not that's the only real prescriptive thing in the New Testament. Uh, everything else is just wider, and you, you're free to run at this goal in however many different directions you want to. Uh, but the goal is financing the work of the Lord, the work of the Lord. Um, so Matthew 28, the command um, is there, and it's, it's, it's there for all Christians, isn't it? Go and make disciples of all nations. That's a command that we all live under as Christians. Um, and yet each of us responds to that differently. So the apostles responded to it by going themselves and writing um, the Bible. Missionaries do it by going abroad to Uganda. Marcus and I do it by speaking the gospel here. Um, you guys do it by speaking the gospel at work. You're obeying that command. Um, and we're obeying that command if we look to finance gospel work. People to take the word of the gospel out and proclaim that word, the word that saves I mean, I've used the language of obligation here, but just, um, you know, just come back to the idea of God as giver. Um, God and the chance to be like God. This is about looking at Jesus ultimately and going, that, that is a beautiful way of living. Um, the sacrificial giving to others. I want to be like that. I want others to hear about Jesus. So I think what this means is um, just forget for a moment where your money is going to go. Uh, just aim at growing this big, fat, juicy pile of cash you're going to give to the gospel. You're going to find some avenue for that money to go to. you know, And just aim to make that as big, as juicy as possible. Does that make sense? Because you, you want to give uh, to the gospel. Um, I did a I did a survey um, and more of this on Sunday, um, but I, I 
I just wanted to just give us... I, I wanted to know, but I didn't want to like ask people directly. So I did a survey of 20 of my friends that I've known you know, from different points of my life. And I just asked them two questions. Um, what's your pre-tax income? And how much do you give to the gospel? I just asked those two questions. I asked 20 people. Um, uh, there was one person or couple, I, I don't know, their household income was 100,000. Um, so their take home, I assume if it's one person, would have been 65,000. How big do you think the pot was that they were giving to the gospel? I, I did ask people who I thought were particularly, sac- you know, were likely to be sacrificial. I've never seen anyone's bank balance before, but um, what's the number in your head? 65,000 take home. 5,000? 10? It was 25,000 for these guys. Um, this guy, these guys, that girl. Um, in a sense, I was, more, I was more impressed by the one that said um, 42,000 pre-tax income, 10,000 given to the gospel. Because they're living on even, you know, it's not, God doesn't care about the amount that comes out of your bank account. He's got it all. He cares about, do you, are you like Jesus? Do you want to sacrifice in service of others? And that, you know, that's the decision that person, that couple um, have made. Um, you know, I just, I don't know about you just hearing those statistics now, but, you know, I've reflected on them and, and uh, seen a few of them and just thought, man, I just, I feel like I fall so far short um, of these people. Um, I'm very impressed and I'm inspired and I think, you know, okay, it spurs me on um, to want to give to the gospel. Uh, Maybe you're, I don't know, maybe you're a really new Christian or you just never come across people who are giving that, that, those kind of levels of money. Um, and you're just thinking, well, that's just a bit weird, isn't it? That's a bit extreme. What, what's going through their heads as they make that kind of decision? Um, well, what do you think? What was going through their heads? Um, what wasn't going through their heads was, I need to build massive savings before I start giving radically. They're thinking, I trust God. I trust him to be my provider. Uh, they're not thinking, my main priority in life is saving for retirement or for the bigger house or for excessive spending on kids. They're thinking, I'm in awe of Jesus. I want to be like him. Um, they're planning, uh, I guess. You know, they, they've actually sat down with their... To, to give that sacrificially, they've actually sat down with their accounts and worked out how can they give as much as possible to the gospel. Uh, they're thinking, I'm in awe of Jesus. I, I love him. I want to worship him with my money. They're planning. Um, you'll see a little plug there at the bottom for a book, called, book by Ash Carter called The Money Mentor, which will help you helpful if you think I'm not very good at planning my finances. Um, I'm sure they were thinking, I get eternal realities. I, I understand what Jesus says about eternity. I understand that on the last day, everyone's going to come before Jesus' throne and they will bow the knee then. Uh, will they hear about the gospel? Will they have the chance to bow the knee to Jesus while there's still time? You know, that, that's not just some distant truth that they intellectually assent to and yet has no impact in their lives. They think, I, I want everyone to have the opportunity. I want to do what I can to help people hear about the gospel uh, before, it's, uh, before they face an eternity of punishment for the sin we all deserve.
maybe they've read 1 Corinthians 7, 29 says this, This is what I mean, brothers, the appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they have none. Those who mourn as though they were not mourning. Those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. Those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. Maybe they think, I want to meet people in eternity. That I want to spend eternity with people that I've, um, humanly speaking, I've won for the kingdom. Because I've paid the money to send the the guy that's going to speak, the girl that's going to speak the gospel, and they're just excited about that. Maybe that's what's going through their heads. Um, um, As we come into land on this um, section, and before we try and pray some of these truths in for ourselves, um, uh, one of the the people in this um, survey asked and said, um, I just want, want, I wish there was more of a discussion about where money should be given, so they'd obviously bought into the idea that you should give um, and look to make that big pot in a sense Um, but they were wanted more discussion about where that kind of money should go so let me give you a few um, thoughts on that Um, well first off it's an issue of freedom um, where you give that money but I think there are spheres of responsibility so it's it's a helpful topic again so how near to the centre is this particular thing Um, so I guess that means God has placed us here in this place, hasn't he? Um, and that makes us, I think, more responsible for reaching this area of the gospel than it does for reaching other areas of the gospel. They're all on the radar, but we're most responsible for this place where God has placed us. Uh, I guess we're most responsible for people we know as well. So we've got close uni friends who are missionaries or whatever it is. That's a great thing to be giving to. Um, I know I know some... Um, churches go so far as to say the only place you should give your money is to the local church Um, and I think I don't go that far because I think that's pretty controlling and not very practical either because we can't corporately have as many mission partners as we could if everyone has one or two themselves but there are some basic ideas behind their principle that I think are worth kind of thinking through Um, one is there's massive gospel need in every area So each of us should primarily focus on their local area and trust their local church to be the place that they give um, to reach the local area. Um, And just because you give to the local church doesn't mean it will be spent in the local church. So we've just been praying for um, Chris and Rod's house. As we gather our giving together and as we trust the leadership, as we trust the mission mission uh, coordinator, Alison, as we think through these different giving, together we can do lots um, as we combine our giving. Uh, I guess it's, you know, it's worth thinking that we're a rich area, we should be a rich church in comparison. Um, and a guy called Jeremy Marshall, who known to many of you, um, uh, he's, he's really pushing the idea that um, rich churches in places like London, where there's, you know, five in every hundred maybe are Christian, should be looking to partner with poorer churches, just twin with them, like towns in England twin with random places in France, uh, twin with poorer churches in often in the north of England, not to completely stereotype north and south divisions, where apparently 0.9 in every hundred are Christian. But it's that kind of what you can do together uh, is better. Uh, and then, 
I guess, you know, if you don't, yeah. Uh, the church corporately, uh, the third thing would be, the church corporately shouldn't be sitting there trying to tick along nicely, uh, your local church. So it should have a thousand and one ideas of ways it could spend money and new initiatives it could be looking to give to. So just because the church isn't asking for money at different points doesn't mean the giving couldn't then be used well. Uh, so there you go, so that's some thoughts on, thoughts on that. Um, and I think this idea of spheres of responsibility helps me think through giving to non-Christian charities. Um, so remember we're saying we're under obligation to do good to everyone as far as we are able, that's an obligation. But A, it's further out of my spheres of responsibility. And B, there are, there are lots of other people in the world who will give to that, who won't give um, to word ministry. Um, so Bill Gates, Bill and Melinda Gates have, um, they've given away $41 billion since 2000. Um, that's a lot of money, right? It's gone to global health, development, policy and advocacy, US education programs. But it doesn't say anywhere on their main causes, word ministry. Uh, and that encourages me to uh, give primarily to things that involve the gospel directly going out. Right, we're going to um, pause there. That's uh, some thoughts on the theology, the doctrine of money. Um, and what I wanted to do is just um, pause and pray on our own just for um, two or three minutes and just do business with God yourself. Um, think about your own finances and just think, what am I going to give to the gospel? Um, and just thank God for his radical generosity to us, and pray we'd get to be like him. We'd excel in this grace of giving, as we'll see on Sunday. Uh, so just, just take two or three minutes on your own just to um, process that. So if you like, this, uh, this last part is going to be um, focused a bit more on um, thinking about the museum as a venue, and uh, just a, a wider look at the kind of vision of the barge and where it's trying to go, trying to set that in the context um, of that. Um, Marcus asked me to um, speak about this. So um, we need to talk about the museum, but let's try and start from the big picture and work down to the details of this. <coughs> um, so first off, let's um, remember the... Back at the AGM, if you were there, we were saying, look, we've got this... Um, rightly, hopefully, this vision for growth as a church, not just because we think every church should look to grow and reach out and add one more person to the, to the kingdom, one at a time, but because this area, population-wise, is the fastest-growing part of the fastest-growing borough in the fast-growing country or the city of London. Um, you know, if we don't double in size, we're not keeping pace with the increase of population. So, you know, it just kind of puts growth on the agenda even more as a church. Um, uh, so we're saying, you know, if the church is a fishing boat, we want to catch more fish, we want more... It was, baptisms were so exciting on Sunday, right? Good one, though. <laughs> um, we, but we want to see more of that. We also, if we're a fishing boat, we also need to see more hands on deck, more Christians there trying to reach out to this ever-growing area. So we want to, want to grow. Um, and that was why we were talking about... Um, changing venue, because um, if you go into all the church growth statistics, and you know, it's been done over hundreds and thousands of churches in different countries, just that, that principle holds we talked about, the size of the pot controls the size of the plant. 
Um, so when churches get to 80% full, for whatever reason, psychologically, on average, the average newcomer thinks there's not enough room for me. This is uncomfortable, even if they think that subconsciously. Um, I was trying to do some um, average uh, attendance figures just to sort of give us a sense of where things are going. It's quite hard to get the statistics um, because lots of fluctuations. But I did um, the month of November, or just around the weeks around there, um, average morning service attendance. So in 2015, just after the church plant went, the average attendance was 61. In 2016, the average attendance was 72. Then 2017, uh, it was up to 101 as the average attendance. Um, there were a couple of bigger events in November this year compared to previous years, and we had the evening service um, combined in, so it's not quite as uh, spectacular growth as um, that might indicate. But um, I think it's exciting, and there were, you know, there were three events, I think, last term that you physically couldn't have fitted everyone on a chair in the barge, which is why we're in the museum. Um, and I think we, uh, we like the museum. I, I think it's got a good buzz. People, opinions will differ. Uh, we've got uh, so we've got specific details on how we think we can um, respond to the museums seeking to up the price massively. So they've they've come in with a figure of a thousand two hundred. So we think we've got plans for how we can talk them down. We think we've got plans for how we can um, prudent, be prudent and wise in how we respond to that. Um, but before we talk about that, I just don't want us to lose sight of this kind of bigger picture of where we're trying to go. Uh, a helpful question to ask when you're trying to get that bigger picture is just what kind of church do you want to see here in 10 years' time? Um, so uh, you've got to know where you're going. You've got to see the that's the finish line over there to press on through bits that might feel painful uh, along the way. Um, so we've talked to the um, committee about some of these, uh, about all of these things. Um, so we want to see this number increase for sure. Uh, we want to see us reaching out more and more effectively into the community around. We want to see the church on a, a firmer and firmer financial footing that we can look more and more to bless outside the church uh, to give away uh, nationally or internationally. Uh, but as we chatted with committee, alongside needing a bigger venue, which would be um, uh, one big issue on the table, uh, there are two other distinct flavours that we're putting to the church, I guess, as... Um, uh, areas where we think we should be um, looking to expand and invest in. Uh, one would be um, Mandarin ministry. Um, so uh, you can have a look on this um, clever map that shows you 2011 census data that shows where different people live around um, uh, London. You can break it down by every bit of information on the census so you can um, see different ethnicities. And um, Chinese ethnicity, this is basically the highest Percentage. This is the, the densest population uh, in the country, uh, in, the, in London at least. Um, and uh, while lots of our Mandarin folk can speak English and speak English very well, um, there's still this sense of learning about the gospel in your heart language and then being able to speak about it in your heart language to others from that ethnicity is massively valuable. So we'd love to keep upping that. We... Um, uh, we'll uh, be in conversation with St. Helens, who already have Gospel Home, about how we could work together. And uh, it just that's the big area, one of the big areas we want to be thinking about and, and praying about as a church and being ready to um, invest in. 
And the other area would be um, um, uh, tr- investing in associates. So quite a lot of churches um, would, would run with a kind of uh, a team of uh, volunteers, um, uh, trainees, apprentices, associates, whatever you want to call them, um, who want to be trained by the church and go off to something like Cornhill um, for, for a year or two. And that's a real blessing to those people. It's a real blessing to the wider church in the country and the world as those people are trained and invested in and sent out to work ministry. But it's also a massive blessing for the church as they have those people, uh, either from inside the congregation or from uh, wider, afi- wider field, because it puts extra boots on the ground, if you like, to invest time and energy in the ministry at the barge and especially in uh, personal work. Um, so that's something that we're um, considering. Those are the big picture things. So those three things for the barge, um, venues, Mandarin ministry, associateships, um, alongside all the great things we're doing already. Um, so that's where we're praying God's going to take us. The question is, what are the next steps um, and how could we afford them? Can we afford them? Um, so first, what can we afford? What can we afford? Um, so there are some people already giving really sacrificially to the church. You know, Ulrika releases kind of tables of what bracket people give in, and there are you know five people at least giving more than five hundred pounds a month to the barge. You know, they're really sacrificial giving, and we're really um, thrilled to partner with people um, who are giving like that. Uh, there are some who give relatively small amounts. You can see that on the charts as well. And we'd ask people uh, in that kind of category to think. Can I up my giving um, as I make that big juicy pot of um, gospel giving? Should some of that, um, should a, a large percentage of that go to the local church? Um, uh, and then there are those who don't give at all. So if that's, if that's you here today, um, I think, yeah, please give. Um, if you benefit from a church, it's right that, uh, right that you give. Uh, so we need to spread the load. But then there's a second step we can take as a church to, to fund gospel growth and that's to look again and we've chatted with this uh, about this with committee is to look at the um, the state of the barge reserve fund so over the last five years we've, we've broken even year on year on the amount of money that's come in basically it's got slight peaks and troughs but it's broken even but because of the you know the right prudence and carefulness of treasurers and um, committee uh, and primarily because of the generosity of Crossrail, who have ended up paying for boat repairs, there's actually quite a big um, reserve fund that we've now built up as a church while breaking even on yearly costs. Um, so you have to keep £80,000 back, basically, which is three months of your turnover. Um, that's just a kind of general strong recommendation on how charity should run. But then we've already got uh, fifty to seventy-five thousand built up, ready for boat repairs, uh, which we don't need for another five years, and then a small surplus on top of that of kind of twenty-five, thirty thousand. Um, so you know, do the maths on that. You'll realise um, that we can propose to um, spend that surplus amount, um, and we could. We think it'd be wise to con- at least consider this. Um, releasing all but twenty-five thousand of the boat repair bill pot because we don't need it for five years and the chances are 
it will only be 50,000 in five years' time because the boat's in pretty good nick and that was about what it's cost the last two times. So in other words, we could spend £75,000 over the next two years helping to get ministries off the ground and still have very healthy reserves as a church. Uh, why are we saying that? Well, we're saying that because we want to be just completely upfront and honest about the financial state of the church as we ask people to um, consider upping their giving to the church. Um, uh, but, we, I mean, it's worth saying, isn't it? Like, when your turnover is 300,000, as the church is, um, you know, 75,000 can disappear pretty quickly. Um, so there's not... The fact that money is there doesn't mean we don't need to grow our giving base. We need um, more people to give more um, to make that a long-term thing. Um, so what are the next steps then? So three areas. Um, venue, we're about to do this. Pray, pray hard for this meeting at 2pm tomorrow uh, with the museum. Set an alarm on your phone, uh, whatever it is. That the whole church is praying as we're sitting there negotiating with them. <clears throat> um, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, as you can guess, any organisation that has seen fit to go from £150 to trying to get £1,400 has probably n- not got a full grip on negotiating strategies and tactics. You know, we're not quite sure what they're going to, what their motivations are. We're not sure what's going to happen in that room. Um, but we think there's, there's good reason to believe that figure could come down a lot. Um, they've already gone down from 1,400 to 1,200, and they're giving it to us at the moment at 600 in this provisional period. Um, 600 a week. 600 a week, yeah, these figures are. Um, uh, but the, um, we could consider other venue options, at least um, in a way that set the bar for the museum, a bargaining chip with the museum, um, so we could go and we could go to Cineworld and we could hire a screen in Cineworld just over there and that would be £550 um, a week. Um, uh, so that's, we pray hard, negotiate hard, um, look to increase giving to do that and be ready to set aside 40000 from reserves to contribute to this cost. Um, it, it, might, it does sound like big money, right, that um, you're talking about. Um, First off, the reality is you spread it over those 100 average that are with us on a Sunday, it's, it, it aggregates down to pretty manageable amounts. Second thing to say is um, the idea is to get is for this to produce growth. And growth, you know, we pray it's brand new Christians, but it may well also be people who are already mature Christians, who are already giving financially and sacrificially and transfer their giving as they arrive in London to this church. So as the church grows... There are new givers who are able to help fund that in the longer term. Does that make sense as a point? Um, so that's venue. Um, second, uh, Mandarin Ministry, we said, talk to St. Helens about how we could begin to work together um, uh, and be ready to set aside £20,000 from reserves to contribute to the cost of trying to get a, a part-time worker maybe alongside St. Helens. Um, uh, and number three, associates, we want to try and uh, dip our toe in the water this September. Um, so associates, they're, they're primarily self-financing, so every associate would go away and raise money. Um, and then, on average, the church looks to help them, exclude, you know, help them with their accommodation costs, provide accommodation, and then, depending on the church, about £5,000 
per associate toward, uh, just as a grant towards living costs, which are allowed to, that's, that's legally uh, okay. But um, So those two things, ask the church family to help with housing options. If you know of a cheap housing option, a way we could house a group of associates um, at a below market rate, um, have a think about that. Um, uh, if you could give to the church in that way. Uh, and the second thing, be ready to set aside 15000 from reserves to contribute to this cost 